All right, everybody, we're sitting down with Liz Rose today, BC resident who's climbed all seven summits. Um, she's not only here just because of the reason of climbing all seven summits on all seven continents, but she's also raising money for Canucks Place Children's Hospice. She's raised over $200,000 so far. She's a world record holder being the youngest Canadian to summit all seven summits on all seven continents. And she's written a book called Written in the Snow. Yeah. So I didn't think I'd make it through the whole seven summits on seven <laughs> continents thing. And it's just one of the worst tongue twisters ever. But I'm happy that I finally made it through it without screwing it up too much. So welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Um, I want to get right into it because I've been chomping at the bit for this. Like, why did it start? Okay, so I had just finished uh, film school in New York, and I had moved to Toronto, and I was looking for a job. My resume was good, and I thought I'd instantly get my dream job, and I searched for about two months, and that didn't happen. So I searched for another something else, and I just wanted to go accomplish something and feel good about myself. So I found Climb Kilimanjaro when I was searching for what to do next in my life. And I called up my dad and was like, hey, any chance you want to go on a father-daughter adventure and come with? And he's like, well, you know, like, we've never climbed a mountain. And I was like, yeah, we're fit. We'll be fine. Okay, so what age was that? Because you were 26 when you finished the 70. You're talking about yes. finishing film school. So I was 23 at the time. 23? Yeah. Wow. So three years you did this all in? Yeah, just under three years. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> I don't know why I was thinking that this was way more years than that. So, like, you never climbed a mountain before, 23, film school, living in Toronto, like, hey, Dad, let's do this. Yeah, I just wanted something to feel good about myself and then come back to the job search with a new motivation. So, and why Kilimanjaro? Just because that was the Google search? Yeah, that's what came up. I had known a couple people that had climbed it, and it looked like a great challenge, and... It could be done in a week, which was good, so I wasn't gone traveling forever. Um, yeah, seemed like a great idea at the time. What do you think to like walk through the experience from like say the okay, you know, dad's like, yeah, let's do this, and then like how long did it take to plan it before you guys hopped on a plane and left? So we had about three weeks' notice. Three weeks. <laughs> yeah, we didn't own hiking boots yeah. at the time, um, or any gear for that matter. So, Which even breaking in hiking boots takes longer than three I weeks. I know. Yeah. <laughs> we broke them in a few times. Yeah. Start um, running them over at the car to break them in a little bit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, everything everything happened quick, but we got our flights and showed That's up. That's amazing. So then you you land, you get there, and it's like, okay, we've never climbed a mountain before. Well, you probably, like you said, did a few dry runs, but nothing like that. Yeah, no. That's 19,000 feet, so there wasn't much we could do here in BC that would compare. So when you got there, did it seem, like, intimidating at all? Like, what... Our other group members seemed pretty chill. Um, so we're like, ah, oh, we fit in fine. Um, so no, we weren't too worried. Isn't that amazing, though, in situations like that where, like, you know, maybe if you guys would have gone, like, just you and your dad with a guide, you know, it might not have been like that. But because there was a group and they seemed pretty chill, it didn't seem, like, a little bit overwhelming or more than what it was. I think it was helpful because we were all in the same scenario of not knowing what to expect. No one really looked like seasoned climbers by any means. And so we kind of fit in and, yeah, weren't too intimidated. Which route did you guys take? Because there's a few different ways to get to the top, Yeah, right? there's several. Uh, we did the Rongai route, which starts kind of near the Kenya border, um, but still in Tanzania. And then 
goes up one side and comes down the other. So. And why? Like, what was the reason or motivation behind that one? Honestly, it was just a timing thing. Um, it is one of the lesser traveled routes, um, which was nice to have less people crowding the trails. But, yeah, it worked best with my dad's schedule. <laughs> and how many days did it take to do that one? It was six days, so five days up and one day down. Is that pretty standard? Yeah, I think that's like one extra day to acclimatize, so you can do it in less, but it was like a nice amount of time. So what was it like physically on the body? It was hard. Um, the first few days were just long, like 10-hour days, but summit day, once you hit that high altitude, was really, really tough. And it had snowed a lot um, right before we left for the summit. So we're just like constantly slipping down in the snow. And yeah, it was the most challenging thing I had done at the time. So then it was about when you were doing it, did you feel really connected with that experience? Like even though it was, you know, obviously windy, cold, slipping in the snow, yeah. thinking like, hey, what's happening? Yeah, no, I loved every minute. Like I felt sick at times, but just sharing the experience with my dad made it really special as well and yeah hugging them at the top was something I'll never forget so how many people were in your group mm, about seven or eight oh, is that typical for a group to be like that size or is that yeah kind of average I would say do you still talk to any of those people a couple yeah we have each other on social media so it's fun to follow each other's journeys so Knowing that that took a week and there only being three years in between this, like, what was it? Like, so you guys got down, did you hop on the plane right away to come home? And then you're like, okay, like, that was awesome. We got to do another one. And Yeah, no. So the day after I booked my flights, I actually got a job. Um, <laughs> so I know timing is crazy. Murphy's love life, yeah. right? So I came home and went to work. Um, I was filming a TV show on a cruise ship. So then with that, it's six months on and two months off. So for my two months off, um, I was like, oh, perfect. I have time to plan another adventure. But at this time, I didn't know what the Seven Summits were. Okay. So it was during – so my next adventure was going to Everest Base Camp. And I actually brought my mom on that one, and that's where I learned what the Seven Summits were. Yeah. Um, a girl in my group, her aunt had done them. So – she was telling me all about them, and I was like, so oh. So is your mom a climber at all? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> so, like, where does, like, climbing mountains start flowing through your blood? Like, I have no idea. Like, like anybody in your family ever, like, passed, or you're just, like, nothing. this cut of a different gym, now you're just like, hey, we're, we're mountain climbers now? Yeah, well, these were, I mean, technically it's, like, still hiking at this point, but, yeah, I fell in love with the idea of climbing, and... I don't know. It was pretty random. So after you went to Everest Base Camp, so like you just went to Base Camp and came back, like it was yeah, just dipping your toes still in the like water. Yeah, but it's still like seventeen thousand feet. Yeah, so absolutely. It's a fifteen day trip. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's that's where I learned about them, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna climb all seven one day. Yeah. And then those days just started snowballing. So then you came <laughs> back home. Yeah. Then you started filming again, and then what was it? Like, take me through, like, each one. Okay, this was the first one, Kilimanjaro, then, like, Everest, and then what? Where did it go from there? So then um, I still had some time off work, so I went to Aconcagua, which was, like, my first real mountain, which is the tallest in South America. And at that time, I kind of knew it was going to be, like, this is make it or break it, whether I actually like the whole climbing world or not. It was a three-week trip. And my group actually couldn't summit because of weather. There was a big oh. storm. Um, what was that like, getting that news? 
it was tough, but I handled it better than I thought I would be. Um, I thought I'd be like completely devastated, but since it was out of my control, it wasn't like I couldn't make it. It was like, oh, well, you have to listen to the weather for safety. So anyways, my whole group went home and it was the very end of climbing season. And I asked the company, I was like, is there any way I can go back up? I was already acclimatized and I was loving it. And so he's like, oh, like no one's here, but we'll see if we can fly you in a guide. So, well, they didn't fly me in a guide. They gave me like a 16 year old porter that had been carrying our stuff up the mountain. They're like, you can go with him. And I was like, okay, sure. Like he didn't really speak English. That's um, crazy. But I, I know, but I'd already been up the mountain. So I was like, ah, this is, this is okay. And then we ended up meeting the only other people on the mountain was this Argentinian movie star and his photographer and his guide. And so we kind of joined forces and I became buddies with them and he ended up inviting me to Everest, which really? was three weeks later. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> See, and like these are, this is what I love about these like micro communities of passionate people is because those are the experiences that you get. Yeah. Like it's, you know, because as you're thinking, like initially the shock is saying like, hey, here's this young boy, go up with him. But like that young boy probably has more climbing experience than most 20, 30, 40 year old people, you know, that we can think of around here. Yeah. You know, so it's like, there's that base layer of comfort. And then it's like, you meet this movie star on this mountain and then he invites you to climb Everest. Yeah. It was crazy. It was wild. And so we summited Aconcagua in like t-shirts. It was such nice weather. So you go from getting snowed out yeah. <laughs> to climbing in t-shirts. Yeah. No, it was incredible. That's and amazing. And then meeting awesome people. Yeah. So what was the turnaround time? You said three weeks was yeah, the full Yeah, he was literally trip. like, what are you doing in three weeks? And I didn't know if I was going back on a ship or not. And I was like, I don't know. And he's like, join our Everest team. Everything's all perfectly in place. Um, he's like, I have 30 Sherpas. I don't need 30. You can have some. I was like, I'm in. That's so nuts. Yeah. How long did it take to kind of like understand like what you just committed to or like what somebody just offered to you? <laughs> yeah, so I said yes right away. But then I knew I had to come home and come back down to earth and like process everything. So I talked it through with my family for a while and we kind of decided if I'm going to do it someday, this was a pretty good opportunity. Um, and kind and of why not? Right? Like, yeah, I had nothing like... to lose. I didn't care about if I was going to make it or not. I was just going to go and see how it went and get the experience. So between, you know, these first three like what was what was the best experience was it Kilimanjaro being the first because this was an experience you and your dad kind of kicked the whole thing off was it going to Everest base camp you know because like Everest is just Everest or was it this mount was the mountain in South America Aconcagua Aconcagua yeah okay or was it that one because it was like the first big one and you know like you were there you were alone it was just you no parents you know yeah like... no that was definitely an incredible experience and just Life is so funny, like the decision to go back up, no one else went back up, but that one decision completely changed my life. Because he had asked, yeah. like, when are you climbing Everest? And I was like, I don't know, 10 years? And he's like, how about three weeks? Oh, so, like... <laughs> so like what, Drew, when you came back down, was it simply like, I'm already here, I got to get to the top of this mountain, I got to, something like, was there like that intense, like A-type personality drive, like I got to do this? Or was it just like the mystery of like, what does the top look like? What's the stomach look like? What is it like up there? I just want to do it. I don't want to go home before. Yeah, I just wanted to see if the opportunity was there. If they had said, look, we can't get you another guide. You have to go home. I would have been okay with that. But I just really needed to ask, like, is there any way? Because it takes a while. I'd been there for th three weeks. It takes a while to acclimatize. 
So now that I was already acclimatized, I was like, What's the beginning of all of these climbs? Like, is it really different, you know, being, because obviously completely different geographic areas. Like, is it the the initial climb completely different and then it gets to be a point where it's kind of all the same, you know, like weather-wise, you know, cold, windy, snow, or like, what's it like? I just have no contrast to even compare it to. Yeah, so for Aconcagua, it starts off as a hike for most of it. Um, You would switch to crampons on summit day. But so that was similar to like Kilimanjaro and Everest Base Camp. Like it was just a dirt hike. Um, so it was a good one to be number three. And then on like the upper portion of the mountains, I learned my mountain skills and it became like an actual climb. So it doesn't sound like any like life threatening situations so far. Like you, you're unscathed at this point in time. No like <laughs> twisted ankles, blown out shoulder. No nothing like that. Like you, you've got to this point and you're good. So like you're fresh and you're feeling. Yeah, a couple of days on my knees was tough um, going down these mountains, but no. Other than that, I was feeling good. Explain that. I've never heard anybody say that before. So going down your knees is because of the 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 steepness of it like the yeah so coming down so you do rotations where you'll go up maybe sleep at camp one and then come back down so you're going up and down a lot and I had messed up my knees from running um, back in the day and just all the like smashing down yeah um constantly okay so then Full Summit Everest was number four, or is there anything in between? No, there's nothing in between. <laughs> okay, well, it was just not a lot of time, but it is obviously this yeah, story. Yeah, no, I, I trained gets, hard. <laughs> yeah, this story is a little crazy. So three weeks later, you come back home, you talk to your family, and they're just like, go do it once in a lifetime experience. Or were they, like, apprehensive, like, no, you know. We took this. a few days to talk everything through, but they, were, they also didn't know much about Everest or any of the mountains for that matter or this argentinian guy that's like yeah like like, what's the situation here but yeah Yeah. so like how many people were in that climbing party so is you him like an army of sherpas and was it just that or were other people no there there were a few other people from argentina like everyone spoke spanish but me yeah Um, and was everybody like who's this liz girl yeah. yeah, kind yeah. of. Okay. After day one, it was like, okay. Yeah. Do you get pretty close with people really fast on these times? Uh, instantly, yeah. Um, because you're talking about everything. Um, yeah, and sharing tents with people. and. Is there a lot of trail talk, or does it kind of start to, you know, even out by the end where, you know, you go through, like, spurts, or is it just to kind of, like, pass the time while you guys are climbing, there's a lot of trail talk? Uh, not so much trail talk, more, like, in the dining tent, um, there's just a lot of downtime in between rotations and stuff. So, so walk me through, walk me through Everest, because everybody that I know has gone has only gone to base camp. I don't know anybody who's yeah. been past there. So like, I've heard the stories up until that point. I gotta know from somebody who's actually put boots on the ground past that. <laughs> so I climbed from Tibet. Um, traditionally, people climb from Nepal. Um, Tibet is a little tricky with like the Chinese government making all the regulations and stuff. That's why people go from Nepal. Um, but we don't have the ice fall, which is, um, one of the most dangerous parts of the Nepal side. So that was like the reason my group was climbing from Tibet. Um, so base camps around 17,000 feet and it was about a nine day drive in Jeeps to get there where on the other side you hike in for like nine days. Oh, wow. So it was kind of nice we got to drive. <laughs> yeah. So 
knowing that you didn't do the that certain section, does that feel like a lost you at all? Are you happy that you didn't have to do that part? Is it a dangerous part that you got to avoid? Yes, it's definitely like it would have been cool um, if yeah, but no, it was definitely like a benefit I would say. Yeah. Um, because you're crossing ladders and the ice is constantly shifting and stuff, so it can be super sketchy. So crazy. I was lucky not to have to do that. Yeah. Um. So knowing that you already went to base camp, like as soon as you started to go past that, then it was like totally uncharted territory. Did it really start to feel like okay, this is this is Everest, like. I can't even imagine, like, visually looking up all the time and just, like, could you see the summer? Like, what was the weather like? Just like... Yeah, from base camp, you can um, just, you have a clear view of it, and it's a bit intimidating, but I really tried to, like, just take one day at a time. Um, there was days I was really sick, and that kind of would get you down, but, um, yeah, so, I mean... How long did it take, so, like, when you were sick, like, just, like, altitude sickness or, like... Altitude sickness, which feels like a terrible hangover. Um, nausea, headaches. And... How long did it last for? Uh, a couple days. Like, so it would be, like, a day or two at a time, but then the best thing to do is to go down. Um, so you try to get lower and... Get How far lunch. do you have to go back down to be able to, like, reacclimate to the environment to feel good before you start going back up? And, like, do you make that decision or does somebody make that decision for you? We had a doctor in the group, so I had her sleep in my tent one night just because I was scared because I was so sick. Um, so they would check all our vitals and everything every day and... Is that standard, or is that just because this guy, like, being a little bit higher profile, movie star, that he wanted a doctor there for him, or is that something that happens with everybody? Um, a few groups had doctors, but, and there was, like, a medical station at base camp for everyone to access, but no, it's it's not, like, completely common that everyone would bring a doctor. Seems like it only kind of makes sense, though, with all the stories you hear about Everest. And yeah, I was happens. thrilled to have one, <laughs> so... Yeah. Okay, so then you start going up, and then, like, what's, what's after base camp? Like, where do you go after base camp? Okay, so there's an advanced base camp, um, and then camps one to four, but you'd break it down into three rotations. So our first rotation, we went basically halfway to camp one. So you'd go to advanced base camp, which is 21,000 feet. Like, that's – or 20. Uh, anyways, that's higher than Kilimanjaro, just to get to advanced base camp. And you're technically... And higher than the one in South America. Aconcagua is over 22,000, so not okay. quite, but... Getting close. Yeah. Um, so that was our first rotation. And then second rotation, we slept two nights at Camp 1, and then went about halfway to Camp 2. And without oxygen in this rotation was so hard. Really? Yeah, because you're getting up to, like, 23,000 feet, and just, like, every step, I just wanted to, like, sit in the snow and take a break. <laughs> what was the battle, like, in your mind? Like, how did you get through it? Like, was, was it, like, a real intense battle? Was anybody, like, grabbing the back of your jacket saying, no, Liz, we can't sit down? Like, did you break a little bit at all, or did just fortitude pushed you through? We took some breaks, but you go so slow. Um, so, like, every step was super slow and I tried to count to seven and I was like okay I just need to make it seven more steps and then I'll like get back and start again why seven what does that mean just... it didn't mean anything it just like naturally happened I was like okay let's make it seven I don't know why I didn't pick ten or something but it's well you know we just like everything that I've done has always been like that it's like that 
that something up there or like you know it's like this song I got to get through or there's yeah. just we like we always pick all these little markers to be able to help get us through these events yeah stuff, for right? sure but yeah no that's so like how what's the pace that you go at because that would be the toughest thing for me and I hear that from a lot of people doing these climbs is just like when you're trying to keep that that pace that rhythm that doesn't feel natural for your body at all yeah and so for this everyone's on the same rope so you're being paced by everyone else on the climb um, so, I mean, you try to spread out a bit so you can get into some sort of rhythm, but I mean, did you get antsy at all? Like, I just want to go in, in knowing that you can't or that you shouldn't, or did that anticipation and like the angst just, was it tough? Later on in the climb. So everyone was summoning on the same day and you were just in a lineup of 200 people along the same rope. And when you're switching your gear over, like when it's anchored in the snow, everyone takes so long to do that and you're literally just standing there doing nothing so that was super frustrating because it's negative 40 out it's pitch dark it's freezing and you're waiting for some guy to figure it out (laughs) and he's fumbling with his stuff (laughs) and you're like come on big mitts like let's go (laughs) and was this the climb so again this is like the terrible part about reading stuff online beforehand was this the one where you had different gloves, like you had like MEC gloves or something, yes. and you're like, I'm going to ditch these Everest gloves. Yeah, I, mean, I ditched my massive mitts because I didn't want to be the slow person holding um, everyone up, and so I used my little MEC gloves that I knew I could work my gear the best in. And Are those like, the little decisions, though, that are kind of like the start of the end for most people, where they're just like, yeah, switch my gloves, and then it's like, okay, I moved a little bit faster. Okay, I was running out of oxygen. Like, is that, or is it just like, okay, gloves off real quick, do this exchange, and they put your big gloves back on? Like, what was, what was that like? Yeah, it was at the beginning, leaving for Summit Day, um, when I made the decision, and I brought the big mitts just to have them in case, but. And weather was good? Like, it was. Weather was great. Um, yeah. And why was it nighttime? So we left at 10 p.m. at night because uh, it takes a long time. And, um, yeah, and we got back. So we summited at 10 a.m. in the morning. It took – what? Yeah. You guys left <laughs> – what? Yeah. It'd be 12 hours? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. And that's probably, like, not 12 hours of that long of a distance either. Like, that's 12 hours of, like, you're going so slow, you probably So slow, you're waiting for people, you're changing oxygen bottles. Like, if no one had been on the route, it would have been, like, half the time. But Really? Oh. Oh, that would be so hard for me. Especially because you'd be so excited to get to the summit, and you're like, okay, I'm, like, 199 more people in front of me have to fumble with their gear before I can get past this. Yeah, place. it was absolutely brutal. Um, and, but that was the one summit day that was going to be the best weather. So there was really, was it like a bluebird day up top? Like, did you oh, yeah. see forever? It was absolutely gorgeous. The second the sun came out, it was like, oh my gosh, the most beautiful place on the planet. Can you see that in your eyes? Like when you close your eyes, can you see it still? Like, is it, is yeah, it there? No, perfectly. Yeah. And what was, what like, can you smell the air? Was like, was it thin? Were the lungs burning? Like what, what was it like up there? So there's, it's covered in uh, colorful prayer flags and everyone's flags that they brought from their countries and stuff. And you just see all the other Himalayan peaks um, right next Did to you. Did you leave something? Uh, I brought a Canadian flag and a Canucks flag, but I brought them back down. Okay. Um, I didn't want to leave it up there. And Anyways, I presented it to the Canucks and Trevor yeah. Linden at the time. Absolutely. Yeah. So when you cross past like the notorious 
kill zone. I'm sure you've been asked a million times, like, do you, like, what was that like? Did, is there, because just reading the books and seeing like the movies that or like the documentaries where people say like you feel like even if you don't see it just knowing that you've kind of got to that point did you feel that or like see anything like was it was that tough or was it just this is just a part of the climb so i passed one dead body um when i was quite quite close to the summit which was kind of like a wake-up kill or a wake-up call um but yeah i just tried to stay focused um yeah, it must have been interesting because, again, like you said, like you don't want to focus on it, but it becomes a reality of this climate and like everything that like you always read and you always hear, you know, like people yeah. dying. It was, was there any point like, you know, past just having like altitude sickness where like you felt that, you know, like your life is in danger, you just felt uncomfortable or like, you know, you're like, I just have to get through this, you know, but I'm really, you know, my knees are killing me or my ankles are like, you know, like I'm, I'm sick again. Was there anything that was preventing you from getting to the top that you had to push through? No, I was actually totally fine going up. The second I got to the top, I've got like a video of me being like, how am I going to get down? Because <laughs> um, like you get there, but that's halfway. You still have to get all the way down the mountain yeah. to be safe. And it had been ingrained in my head that everyone like accidents happen on the way down. Everyone dies on the way down. And so I was scared. Now that you say that, I actually have heard yeah, yeah no, it's quite a, thing. a bit. Because yeah, like, you're exhausted. You've completed your goal, kind of. Yeah. Um, and you just kind of you, – you, there's a party that kind of, like, gives up. Like you said, you, like, you got to the top. You're like, I'm going to get back down. Like, it's not as much, like, that push because the priority's not there. Yeah, no. Um, so, like, in my head, the true summit is being fully down. But, yeah, so I had a few moments on the way down. I slipped at one point. That really shook me up. Um, like just slip like on your butt or slip and you're going no, for a ride? No. So I was rappelling down a rock section and, um, my crampon slipped against the rock. So I was literally swinging there and I was totally fine. I was attached to the rope, but it was just like, I am but swinging still, from the top of Everest. Yeah. That's <laughs> nuts. That is so <laughs> crazy. That's like what literal movies are made out of. Like somebody swinging back and forth, crampon slip, like. Is there, like, do you have any other moments like that? Or, like, was that, like, the one thing and you're just, like, thanking God that was the only one that you had? Yeah, that was that was my main thing. My oxygen mask froze at one point, so I couldn't breathe through oh. it at all. Really? What did up. you do? Um, I knew we had extra regulators, so I didn't freak out. But at that point, you're so high, I was like, is my um, mind messing with me? And I was like, can I actually not breathe? And, like, you're just kind of confused. Yeah. Um, but my Sherpa poured a bunch of hot water over it all to deep freeze it. And the water didn't freeze? Like, that, I would... It's in a thermos. go there to pour, like, water on something that's frozen. But again, that'd be, like, the benefit of having, like, a Sherpa is they know those little tricks in the yeah. trade, right? Um, yeah, no, it was boiling water in a thermos. And so he fixed it pretty quick. Um, but, yeah, those were my moments where I was like, okay. Yeah, the composure that, like, you bring home from that, though, like, you're on Everest, you know, your oxygen mask freezes, you know, like, and, like, when you talk about, like, like being high, like, just because you're getting no oxygen to the brain, or, like, very little, like, you're just kind of, like, woozy, or, like, what's that? I meant, like, altitude high, like, oh. but, like, your brain, your brain's, like, constantly dying at that point, lack of oxygen. I mean, yeah, you've got a tank over your face, but still, it's not enough. Um, How hard is it to regulate your breathing? Because it... I've heard too, like, you know, you really have to focus on the breathing part because, like, you don't want to go through your oxygen too fast. Yeah. 
Or is that not a concern? Is that just those little things you hear that just... You're we like... had plenty of oxygen, so I wasn't too worried about, like, running out or anything. And then on the path up, there's oxygen bottles all over the snow, just in case anything happens, um, if you needed an extra. So, really? yeah. That's cool. Oh, yeah, all the teams. Like, people just leave, like, their extras. They're just like, hey, this might save somebody's life. I know I don't need this. I'm just going to leave it here. Yeah, they're all stored along That's the way, so just cool. in case. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Wow, that's so crazy. Like, what, what does it feel like? Like, just, do you ever get tired of telling the story? Like, it's like, Everest is always, like, that one, right? Yeah, you know, that... definitely the most popular one. Um, yeah, no, it's fun to relive it. Yeah, absolutely. So, on the way back down, like, so you slip at this section, and you're coming back down, and then, like, how long does it take you to actually, once you summoned it, to get back down? So, we summoned it at about 10.48 a.m. and got down to Camp 3, at about five or six at night. Wow, that's a... So you've been climbing for, like, almost 24 hours. Yeah. Wow, your body just must have been bagged. Yeah. <laughs> um, and was your body... Did you feel any of the fatigue or the stress coming off, like, the last one in South America? No. Because there's only three weeks, That was, like, right? perfect training for yeah. it. Um, so, no, I was fine from that. And then, so Camp 3, we're still above 26,000 feet, which is the death zone. So we are sleeping with oxygen um, over our faces, which most people would try to get down lower. But What's it like trying to sleep with oxygen? Like the, anything on my face or foreign, I have a really hard time sleeping. Yeah, no, I was nervous about it at first, but it's just so helpful. Like, it makes you actually be able to sleep, because sleeping at high altitude is super tricky. Really? Uh, yeah. Why? Your body just doesn't want it's like it's just really hard to sleep interesting so my first night with oxygen over my face i like got the best sleep ever like even though like you're just your your body's done like you've almost been like climbing for 24 hours and the just because it's like so so oxygen depleted the body just doesn't want to sleep anyway like that's crazy yeah at that point it would i would have been tired yeah. enough to sleep but like while you're acclimatizing to sleep at altitude is a bit of a nightmare yeah so. crazy like how do you have to wake up during the night and like replenish the oxygen, like switch the tanks or? No, you'd set it at a, like a low um, flow setting for okay. the evening. Yeah, that's so crazy. Yeah. So then you wake up the next morning. How the body feel? Um, I mean, I don't even know at this point, but yeah. just had to get down. So it was a complete windstorm that day. Um, but we didn't really have a choice. We didn't have enough oxygen to stay up there, so we fought the wind and got down. My whole team, except for one person, slept at Camp 1, um, but I was like, I want to keep going. I want to call my parents and tell them I'm alive. Yeah. Um, so I, me and my Sherpa went um, to get back down to advanced base camp. And, and like the windstorm, like the one where you put your hand in front of your face, you can't see, or was it like, you know, windstorm? It was, it bad. was bad. It was really bad. We like faced our backs to the wind and tried to get down as quickly as we could. Crazy. Um, it was safe enough, yeah. um, to move in, but it was still. But then again, having like these Sherpas who are so experienced, like to them, it's probably yeah. like, this is just every day. Yeah, it's another day on Everest. It's like, it's crazy, this windstorm, like, this is nuts. Yeah, no, so. So that must have been a pretty long day. Again, like how, when you're coming down, like you can just kind of go as fast as you want down? Or is there, like, do you have to keep stopping along the way too to like reacclimate to the environment? Um, No, not at all. You're trying to get down as fast as possible. And people are more spread out at this point, so mm -hmm. it was... It was much quicker. There's, like, down. no point in just hop on, like, the GT snow racer and just be like, <laughs> let's cut this thing loose and get to the bottom. 
What was it like calling your parents for the first time? Like, oh. what did what did they say? Like, what was that? Must have just been like the best phone call ever. Yeah. So I used a satellite phone, and my dad was in the middle of a meeting. Um, I tried his cell first, and he just saw this long digit phone number, and he was like, "Guys, like, I gotta take this." Like, just hoping it would be me. Um, and I was like, dad, <laughs> did they know that that would kind of be like the day or the time that you'd be calling around if it was no. or like they had known I had summited on May 23rd, but they didn't know how long I was going to be up there still or when I was going to call. Um, I got three so. girls. I couldn't even imagine like <laughs> that, the angst that that would just be like inside uh, you. Like, did it just eat at though? My poor parents. Yeah. They had like all their friends lighting candles and stuff for me. <laughs> and, but like while I was up there on the other side, um, I think at least three people had died, maybe five overall. But when you were on there. Yeah. Um, like as like like around you or like you said on the no, other side from, like so the, from Nepal yeah um but like trying to summon at the same time and so they're listening to the news and getting these updates climber dead like female climber dead <laughs> so, oh, and no names being released no yet. eventually they did yeah. but yeah wow, it's just that must have been brutal yeah that's so crazy so why why would you think that they died then like was it like oxygen or like was the route different or was the weather worse on the part where they were doing it um it was mainly altitude sickness just like messing with your body not everyone adjusts to it as well even with an oxygen tank um do you guys get that news on the mountain or did you no not at all which was great because that's not what i needed to deal with while i was up there well yeah because like you you're already passing dead bodies like on the way up there and then you hear people's dying like I couldn't yeah like yeah, you only no. can like tough so many things out before it's gonna start to chip away at you a little bit yeah maybe our company had like heard about it on a radio or something but no we're pretty out of the loop so then you get back down and so the guy like this Argentinian guy like did you guys meet up at the bottom did you guys have a beer together or something or like like what was what yeah was we had like? a big celebration at advanced base camp once everyone was down we were popping champagne and yeah, yeah it was great so did you get did you summit like with him was he there did you guys like high five at the top um I tried to wait for my group at the top but we kind of knew the weather was turning and my shirt was like let's go so I high-fived him as he was making his way to the top because I was the first one there in my group. So he was going up in the weather that you didn't want to be in your coming back down. Like, so how many more people went up after you summited? Um, people were still on – and, like, so it's one rope. You're going up and down, so you're constantly, like, trying to pass people super carefully. Um, so, yeah, no, there was still people coming up. I can't imagine how dangerous it is to climb Everest and you have these big gloves on. Everybody's fumbling already. Like, it just seems like is – the, is the path that narrow where they couldn't have two ropes? Or, like, why is it only one? Um, well, so Sherpa teams have to go ahead and set them all, and they have to be set very well. So I think – and then we didn't all know we were going to summit on the same day. We were oh, hoping okay. it would be spread out. Um, traditionally, it's spread out to like at least five days where teams can kind of pick and choose when they want to go. Well, yeah, that wouldn't be that bad thing. So it'd be like, you know, 20, 30 people a day. Exactly. Like, yeah. um, like some people um, have the whole mountain to themselves when they go. So it was just kind of the way it worked. Did it um, seem weird that it was like a cattle herd when you get to the top? You have like this, this mountain is the tallest mountain in the world. It's this huge experience to get there and there's like hundreds of people there. Like, was that weird? Like, yeah, but I mean, all the movies show that, like, I kind of knew that 
Everest is super congested, and that's one of the huge problems with it. Um, so with all the movies, is it like, do they give a good depiction of what it's like to climb Everest, or is it like every other situation where you're just like, okay, that's not what it's like at all? No, they give a pretty, like, the latest one, Everest with Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Um, it's, it's pretty accurate. Like, base camp's a party, everyone's drinking and um, mingling with each other and stuff, and yeah. Oh, that's yeah. so cool. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, so then you're down, you know, you hop in the car, you're, you're back to the airport, like, like what? What's the, what's the adventure from there? Like, so you've done three of the seven now. Yeah. Um, so then come back down and spend time with the family and just, I took the summer to chill. Um, and then went back to work on the ships and then... My next mountain was Mount Vincent in Antarctica. So that was one of my favorite ones, Antarctica. Is like, How tall is that one? Uh, just over 16,000 feet. Okay. Um, so not that tall, but because of where it is, it felt like the elements and everything, it felt challenging. Um, and it was absolutely stunning. And it's a part of it because it's on a different continent, right? Like that's how it gets grouped into it because it's the Yeah, seven... so it's the tallest in Antarctica. Oh, okay. Yeah. So why was it the best? Like, why does it bring the... Because you would just naturally assume it would be Everest. Like, I know that's a Everest, thing like, was it. the best, but this was just a, such a unique experience. Like, the continent is very untouched, and I just felt so lucky to be there. Um, and, yeah, I loved it. It was challenging, but also fun. It wasn't, like, painful challenging. It was, like... How many days was that? About ten days. Ten so days? Like a nice amount of time, and... What was the weather like? Uh, it got up to negative 40 some days, um, but when the sun was out and the wind um, died down, it was just, like, nice. I mean, it was always negative 20 or something, but it felt, felt Doable? Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess the contrast between minus 40 and minus 20 when it's minus 20 and the sun shining is definitely a lot more doable. Yeah, it literally feels like... Nothing. What's it like sleeping in the in the tents? Like, like is it relatively warm? Is there heaters? Like, what's the... When the sun hits the tent, they get super warm. Oh. And, because it, it's like a little heat trap. And then with Antarctica, it was summer there, so it was like 24 hours of daylight. So you've got oh, like a okay. sleep mask over your eyes, so you can actually try to sleep at night. But, yeah, no darkness. Was that, was that like a challenging part of it, just knowing that it was never... Yeah, it was definitely weird. Were you able to sleep okay? Like, cause you you would I would think that sleep would be really key to get some solid hours every night when you're climbing these or summiting these mountains and stuff to do that, right? Like yeah, um, yeah, no, I had enough stuff over my eyes to try to make it dark and yeah. It just seems like your circadian rhythm would just be completely like, what am I doing right now? You know, I'm yeah, climbing like this it's mountain. That time, it's, like, it's yeah. beautiful out. Yeah, yeah, no, it was an interesting experience. And so like. Like, walk me through, like, the landscape. Like, obviously, I've never been to Antarctica before, but you say it's so beautiful. Like, what what do you see when you're climbing? Is it, like, mountain ranges, you know, like... So, yeah, mountain ranges and just, like, white forever. Nothing's there. There's no animals, um, no birds, nothing. Nothing. No, because we were super inland, so on the coast you've got the penguins and stuff. Um, but there was just nothing there. And... Wow, did it feel lonely? How many people were... were uh, I was with about five people... And there were a few other groups, so yeah, no, you're very isolated. Yeah. Do you like that part of it? Like, like, what have you developed the reason or the 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 mentality of why you like climbing now? Like, this is 
obviously you went to base camp on Everest and you did Everest, so this is kind of like technically your fifth big climb. Yeah. Like, do you know why now? Like, are you starting to say, okay, well, this is why I keep coming back. This is what interests me behind it. And Yeah, it sounds funny, but like, I love the challenge of it and the suffering and like just everything as a whole, like during it, it's like, oh my gosh, like I'm choosing to be here. This is literally awful. But just like pushing your body to the limit completely is... Do you feel like it's just because I love pushing myself really hard and like just understanding that no matter how hard I've ever pushed myself, it never seems like the end. Yeah, there's still more in you, and just like and like, where does that stop? You just surprise yourself, yeah. So you feel like that when you're climbing, like you just no matter how brutal it is, it's like, like, do you chase that threshold, or do you just have an understanding that it's like, no matter where you think your bar is, like you could be. It's like David Goggins has that forty percent thing. Like no matter how hard you're pushing yourself, it's like you're forty percent of what it's yeah. just like some kind of random number, but it just gets you to think. Like, there's just so much more of a threshold between when you think you're done compared to when you actually are. So I always yeah. try to think of that because in all these situations that I've been in, which is nothing like what you've done, <laughs> but, like, it just – it always seems like it's like, where is it? Like, where do you truly break down and there's just no more? I don't think I want to reach that point. <laughs> but is it even possible, though? Yeah, like, look at what you've done and, like, yeah. you've, you, you've, everything you've explained so far – you haven't even come close to that. And you've done, like, the most challenging things literally on the planet. Yeah. I mean, Everest was very challenging. I don't know how much more I would have in me um, after Summit Day to keep going, but... But you say that, but if it was, like, another 2,000 feet, 3,000 feet, like, you could have kept on Yeah, no, I... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it is interesting. So then, you like, you're saying, like, what was the summit of this one? Like, what's it called again in... Uh, Mount Vincent. Mount Vincent. So what's the summit of this one like? Um, it was a small summit, um, but yeah. So we... what do you, like, is small summit in contrast just to the ones you've climbed? So, like, you know, I don't know what the summit of any okay, of these mountains so look like. Okay, so the top of Everest is literally, like, a dining room table, like what we've got right here in front of us. Really? Yeah. That, so it's, like, what you think. Like, like it's just, just like, the this very tiny top, little... Yeah, and you can't really stand... On certain sections of it because they're scared it will like break away so, so it becomes even smaller yeah so, yeah and you're like trying to get your perfect photos that are totally not happening <laughs> yeah. you're, lu you're lucky to have one yeah <laughs> um, or you'd be able to press any button to take a picture like yeah i was so happy my phone turned on yeah that juice so i emailed cold. apple i was like my phone worked on the top of every summit yeah <laughs> oh hopefully they give you like a free phone that's what i tried for <laughs> they're just like didn't no get one. not happening <laughs> no um, What's the summit of Kilimanjaro like? It's it's big, big? so yeah. Um, Playing football up there. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's yeah. What changes that? Like, do you know? Like, do you know a lot about mountains? Like, what makes like some? Because I know a lot of it has to do with how like the Earth's crust or a crust is pushed up. Yeah. That forms it, but I don't really know like why some of them just have like more space on top than. The yeah, other. I don't know. Um, so Mount Vincent. Yeah, it was a few dining room tables, let's say. Yeah. Um, and then awesome views of pristine, untouched land. Mm -hmm. So then the how long again was the up and down on that one? Ten days. And then how long was that after Everest? Um, so Everest I summited in May, and then Vince and I did in January. So okay. I, I took a solid break. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, no, yeah, so people like, spread the yeah, break. I was just going to say, I'm like, is that a solid break? Like, what's a typical break? Like, how long do people typically take be- between these climbs? So, for lots of people, it's a lifelong goal to do the Seven Summits, which it started out for me as a lifelong goal, and then it just happened to yeah, um, like, get them done. I'm going to do this in, like, three years instead. <laughs> yeah, but there's speed records. Like, people have done them in, like, less than a year and stuff. Uh, does that seem like bananas to you like going through the whole experience like how do people do this that quickly knowing how fast you did it or would uh, you want to do it all over again okay I'm going to do it in a year or 18 months no I don't have like the desire to do a speed record or anything like that but the way the seasons add up it is because all the mountains have a different climbing season um it's definitely possible and if you've got the resources why not yeah and that's usually what it always comes down to is like you know finances and stuff right being able to like you know do these kind of things and stuff because it's like you know just making it like a lifelong goal makes it a little bit easier but to be able to do that all that quickly like these speed yeah. records would be no for sure one thing i, I want to know before i forget to ask is like what gear do you use like do you use different gear on each mountain like or do they tell you what gear you need to bring like is it like is it always the same like yeah so there's extensive gear lists for each trip um for everest the main different thing is you're in a full down suit like a one-piece snowsuit um that's crazy warm and that was the only mountain i used that and then the rest it's the same with your big boots and why would that be the only thing because you're in the cold longer or like what would be the reason because you were kind of talking about like minus 40s whether or not that you're on everest or Mount Vincent, like, you're kind of talking, like, that range, but is it the duration you're in the cold for? Um, yeah, and, like, some people climb Vincent, because it is similar weather, in a snowsuit, um, but I think it's just the ease of having, like, a one-piece suit, and that's all you have to worry about, um, and What's more comfortable for you, like, what do you prefer, the one-piece or two-piece? No, definitely two-piece, because two-piece? it's just easier to change layers, and everything instead of how many layers do you have on like it in minus 40 climbing because you know i grew up in southern alberta like minus 40s you know i'm pretty yeah. used to that but like as we know when you're doing something physically active outside it's not like you're not just sitting on the couch in minus 40 watching tv or something yeah right? no you so. actually generate a lot of heat so like every summit day i would have a base layer long sleeve shirt and then a fleece um and then my big snowsuit so not that many is it like restrictive does it seem like a lot of gear to be wearing or do you actually have quite a bit of mobility in it you have quite a bit of mobility in it mine's a bit too big for me um so it's a bit bulky but yeah so then after Mount Vincent like where to go because now we're at five four 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 um so then I went to Denali later that spring which I had been told Denali like weather wise can be super tricky um, so I tried to sign up for like back-to-back trips. I didn't end up doing that, but just in case, cause I was in a bit of a hurry to get them done. Um, and you're carrying 120 pounds of gear on Denali. So there's no Sherpas. <laughs> really? Yeah. So between. Is this the first time you'd be exposed to that? Like having to carry your own gear out of all these mountains you've climbed so Mount far? Mount Vince and I carried my own gear, but it's only 10 days opposed to three weeks. Yep. Um, so it was a lot less. How heavy was your pack on Vincent? Mm, we made like little carries and stuff, so no more than 50 pounds in a day. Oh, that's not bad. Then. Yeah, no, it was okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Denali, I had to train differently for that. 
Yeah, what, what's your training like in between each one of these? Does it change per mountain, or is it just kind of the same? Or, like, what, what's your training protocol like? So, um, I work with a personal trainer in the gym, and then I've got a climbing coach for technical skills, and I have a sports psychologist and physio. <laughs> so, lots of different aspects. Um, just trying to make sure my body's in perfect condition. What do you do for recovery? Like, or do you do the things now like crowd therapy, you know, like sauna, like any of that kind of stuff? No, I've never tried any of that stuff. Really? No. So like, well, what do you do for recovery? Like you just like, do you relax? Do you yoga? Just like casual, like easy hikes or you know, just straight time off? Uh, yeah. Time off. I'll like roll out my legs and stuff like that, but nothing. keeping it pretty simple. Yeah. The basics, eh? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, so we're so Denali, like you're climbing Denali, you know, you get there. So you went to Vincent in January. January. Denali so when did you was get... in end of May. End of May. End also, of May. that's pretty close. Yeah, but like training wise, that was that was like why I did it. Mm-hmm. Um, and... So what was it like throwing that pack on and starting that ascent? Because it must have been quite a bit different psychologically, knowing that you have all this this big packs like three yeah. times heavier than you've ever carried before. So day like... one was so heavy. So as the climb goes on, it, you get lighter because you're eating your food and mm-hmm. using your gear. But day one, it was a struggle. Um, we were going across a flat glacier and just my shoulder got messed up from like my sled going to one side. And I was like pretty beat at the, the end of that day. It was kind of like a wake up call of like, you got to get all this gear up the mountain. I've had to pull this sled in the snow once for quite a few hours and it was slightly askew and I never really thought it'd be that big of a deal because you're just kind of like pushing through it. But by the end of when we stopped, I was like, Oh, this is terrible. Like my body just was like, I don't, that was such a bad move. Like those little things, just the accumulation over time. Like how did you get past that? Knowing like this is the first day shoulders feeling all messed up. Like, did you bounce back pretty quick? I did, but like mentally I was pretty beat up that night. Um, and I was worried, like, I was like, this is day one, like, I have three weeks ahead of me, but I started feeling better the next day, so I was lucky. Yeah. Do you feel like you have pretty good recovery? Like, is that something, like, you always been, like, athletic, you always been able to push so your body's used to recovering? Yeah. Yeah. What sports did you play before you started climbing? Uh, field hockey, soccer, tennis, snowboarding. Oh, so you're totally into the whole... Yeah. A lot. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, the, your body's used to it. Grew up playing everything. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, so then your body's totally used to it then. Yeah. Okay, so then, you know, after this first day, they kind of get back on track. Like, what was what was the ascent like? Was the weather good? Did you guys get socked in at all? Like, did you have to camp on the tents for days? Like, what was the whole experience like? So, at 11,000 feet, which is really low on the mountain, you're not even, uh, you're about halfway at that point, we got into a snowstorm, and we were there, stuck for about... 10 or 11 days what absolutely nothing in a tent yeah i had three guys and me in a four-person tent and how we would get out to go to the bathroom and you're pretty much just like laying there or like kind of semi-sitting like was it just brutal on the body um yeah like a few days when the weather was like a tiny bit better we'd go for a little walk around camp but no like it was and we'd wake up every morning fully get all our gear on thinking because we hadn't talked to our guides yet thinking we're like yeah today's okay and no we got shut down like every single morning wow yeah 
how like after like a couple days did it start to wear on you or were you just like okay like today's there were a few tears at one point it was just so frustrating and then you'd see a couple other teams like try to leave and you'd be like can we go (laughs) um so did any of the teams that leave did they get caught in any trouble like was it a good decision or a bad decision no i think they ended up turning back and coming Back. Like oh, they started yeah. their morning and then ended up right where we were. So no, we we definitely did the right thing, and you just have to like it's fully out of your control. Yeah, it is what it is. But yeah. still though, I can't imagine just like yeah, another day in the tent, and then it's in, like what was your sleeping like there? Because you're just not burning any energy or nothing, no. and like did you like snack more like the board eating? You know, it oh we just... ate so much food. Like we yeah. had so much food with us, and we'd just be like eating hummus in the tent you know that's actually because if you're not anticipating getting trapped for that long how did you guys have so much food because you would never plan to be like stuck in one place for 10 days yeah but you plan your food for the whole trip so Mm -hmm. you're you plan to like eat every day so you've got yeah so were you guys able to make up that time or was this like when you guys were stuck there was it just kind of like a quick up and down after that? You were just kind of like in this really bad holding pattern for a while? Yeah, so you've got what's called your turnaround day. So if we had wasted two more days, then you'd miss your turnaround day where you'd have enough days left of food and gear to go up the mountain and come all the way down. So we were getting close to our turnaround day and we lucked out with good weather and there were a couple weaker people in the group. Um and we're like, look, we can't afford a rest day. Like, are you in or you're out? And like, what do you need a rest day for? You gave <laughs> yeah, up like 10 days of like a rest day if you can't get your shit together at that One point. One guy was like, like 67 years old though. Yeah, yeah but still though, it, like 10 days, like you don't even do anything. But like, oh, just, I couldn't even imagine how my body would feel after just being in a tent for 10 days. Like yeah. laying on the couch for an hour feels like it ruins <laughs> my body. Never mind in a, in a tent. Yeah. I took some, a group of girls into the backcountry last summer and it just poured rain for like two days and we got stuck in the yeah. tent like they were in their tent I was in the tent by myself but I did the whole time I'm like okay Blake you know like you just go through different challenges in life I'm like but this is like it's like oh it doesn't matter just go outside I'm like no you're gonna get cold it's gonna be wet it's all those different battles you go through right yeah, so for sure. that's crazy so then you guys got up and you came back down weather was good after that yeah no it was awesome good. so yeah so lucky. then you, you guys came back and then you flew back home and then like where'd you like what was the time frame between that and then what was next and all even where? So I had I think two weeks. I planned them quite back to back. Um then I was headed to Russia, which is Mount Elbrus, the tallest in Europe. Okay. And that was an easy one. Um it's about eighteen thousand feet. I brought my snowboard. Um <laughs> I wanted to go from the top, <laughs> but I went from about three quarters of the way, just safety-wise. Um, yeah. That's crazy. You liked your snowboard? Yeah. <laughs> like, did you guys have Sherpas for that one? or No, but, like, so it's a ski resort. Um, you wouldn't normally ski from the top of the mountain, but traditionally it is a ski resort, and there's huts instead of tents. Oh. Um, which was nice, so... Yeah, you could kind of just have That almost, did it seem like cheating at all? Like, you know, it's like not, it's like backcountry, but not backcountry. It's like little huts, not tents. Like, was there a different feel to it? Definitely. It was like luxury life. Um, And I mean, you could have brought a tent if you wanted one, but I'll take a bed. Yeah. Um, Oh, 100%. (laughs) It's just part of the experience. Um, That's the way that mountain works. So. Does it seem odd that it's, it's like that? Like, it just seems like it's so like, especially from going this one in Antarctica. 
Yeah. Yeah, like, where it's, like, completely just, like, isolated, nothing around, not even a bird. And then now you're, like, about, like, like, do you climb up while people are skiing down, or do you start where, like, this, like, the ski stops? Yeah, not many people. I was, like, one of the only people that brought um, my snowboard. So it's not, like, there's not skiers around you. It was summertime. Um, but, yeah, no, it was just a total, total different feel. How many people were on that one? Uh, it was just me and a guide, and then there was other people on the mountain, but... So that was that was kind of more like what you're talking about on some of them, where it's just like sometimes you have the mountain to yourself. Did it feel like that? Yeah, we left early enough on summit day where we had the whole summit to ourselves, and um, so that was nice. But what was the summit like on that one? Um, it was. It's hard to describe. Um, <laughs> but it's yeah, it's like your average your average size. Yeah. Like, uh, and where in Russia is it? So it's kind of near uh, where Sochi Olympics were. Oh, okay. So south. Yeah. Um, yeah, the same sort of region. Yeah. See, so now we're at six. Yeah. And where does the book start to come into play here? Okay, so I decided that I wanted to write a book during Everest. I was like, this has been an epic journey even to get this far. Um, I definitely want to write a book sometime. So in between the, that summer after Everest, I took like a writing course and knew that's what I wanted to do on all of them. I had kept journals along the way, which is like such a hassle during, um, and during is that the whole part of like the written in the snow? Like, you know, yeah, so that's like how it's got its your... name. Cause oh, okay. I wrote all my journals like while I was there. Um, so yeah, I was so thankful I kept cause all the little details you forget. Do you ever go back and like, yeah, is it, you do? and then like in my book, there's my scribbly handwriting, like, oh, sections. that's so cool. Yeah. Cause I'm always one of those persons. I, I do things like that and then I never do anything with it. Like, yeah. but you scroll back through it every once in a while and yeah. kind of relive And then like, moments. I want to give them to my kids one day and I don't know. It's just, I'm very thankful I have them. Yeah. Is it, are they quite substantial or is it just like a little chicken scratch on some paper or is it like a. Depends on the mountain and the day. Um, like Denali, while we were stuck in the snowstorm, oh, I can't imagine. <laughs> drawing the little hangman pictures I on the side. The tent today. Yeah, <laughs> again, it's like knife marks in the page. Again, in the tent. <laughs> yeah, there's there's some funny moments, but. Well, so and then is it same food that you bring on all of these, or like is it like region specific? Like how does the food change? Because gear kind of changes a little bit. Does yeah. the food ever change, or is it like the same freeze-dried meals you always bring, or is it freeze-dried meals? Is that just... So, yeah, they're all different. Like, the mountain in Russia, we had a chef there, like, that we went to, like, this little dining hut and ate our all our meals in there. That's pretty bougie. Like, yeah, I know, like, it was ridiculous. Hi. Did you take a chairlift to the top, too? No. <laughs> Seriously. A chef, a bed, like, no wonder it felt so much different. Yeah. Especially after just being trapped on Denali for 10 days in a tent, too. Yeah. Cool. Uh... Not as many freeze-dried meals as you'd think. Um, Higher up, when you'd be at, like, Camp 3 or something, that was the easiest. It's a lot of soup. Um, Mm. It's all about getting the hot liquids in you. So by the end of every trip, I was just so sick of soup. (laughs) Do they do that to be able to keep your core temperature up? Because that's that's one of the ways that they um, help bring people out of hypothermia now is by giving them, like, warm to heat them up from the inside out. Is that kind of, like, the theory behind it? Yeah, and hydration and salt, and it's just everything's great. Like, what kind of soup? Because soups really aren't that calorie dense. Were you guys eating more, like, stew-style soups? No, it was basically to start every single meal 
you'd have to have soup. It was like no soup, no summit. So you'd eat like actual food after that, but to start all the meals, you'd have like at least two cups of soup. Oh yeah, after a while that would just be like oh, and like awful. every meal every day. Yeah. Oh yeah, that <laughs> yeah, would no, just it's be like not okay. And is it the same soup every day? No, it differs, oh, but still but like, still, yeah. Depending on where you are, it's like that's a lot of days. And that's the same on every mountain. Pretty uh, much. Or is that just soup's a common theme. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. So what's the last one? I was like trying to remember all the seven, but what's the Okay, so the last one is Mount Kosciuszko, which is in Australia, and it's a day hike. So I planned oh, that as my strange. last one. Yeah. So, yeah, super easy. Um, but I wanted to end on it because I wanted to include family and friends. So I had 18 family and friends from like around. Really? Yeah. Because um, they, they just wanted to be a part of like the journey. Like, yeah, this, the my last final one. time. That's so awesome. Yeah, I had a few Australian local friends. Uh, my dad used to live there, so he knew a bunch of people. And then lots of my good friends flew in. And How cool is that? Though? Yeah, it was really special to end on that one. And skill-wise, everyone could do it. And um, how high is it being like a, a day hike? Like it does a couple it... thousand feet. It's tiny. Oh, because there's not really any mountains in Australia, right? Like it's pretty flat. Yeah. <laughs> um, Two thousand feet, like that's just kind of like a drop in the bucket at this point in time. Yeah. Um, but no, it was a nice one to end on. And then I uh, raised money for Connect Place Children's Hospice on that one. Um, which and was... how did you settle with Connect Place? Like. So my family had been involved for years. My dad was on the board. So I grew up going to the the events and just seeing how impactful the charity was. And so before I went, I met a bunch of the kids and got them to sign a flag for me that I brought with me to the top. And then they were following me on an app that I had on my phone uh, to know when I had made it. And it was just like the perfect way to end my journeys well and just to give all those kids something to look forward to as well like that's just like you know giving them little you know like little tidbits you know to be able to wake up to and just be a part of feel included in something so much yeah greater than it was them, right yeah so it was really special how like where was like the where did a lot of like the money come from was like was it individual donations or like a lot of corporate sponsors or um a mix of both I threw a big fundraising party before I left and got a bunch of people on board and That's yeah, awesome. everyone was so excited. Did you get any sponsorships it. for gear? Like, you know, like here's this jacket or this pair of gloves. Like, I know you mentioned like MEC gloves, like were they a part of it at all? Yeah. So for my last climb, um, they gave me any gear I wanted, which was awesome. But which was pretty much nothing because it was like, well, I, I, I like where much. were you guys when I was on like Everest and <laughs> I, where I needed a ton of gear? But yeah, I know. But anyways, no. Like, so. did, do people like approach it or like? Wh- I don't even know like how public your journey was along the way. Like, you know, were there a lot of people following? Like, you know, were were you trying to put it out there on social media? Um, so I, I just come in on the back end of like yeah. all of this, right? So so I had been on uh, global news after Everest, but I wasn't. And then like I have some followers on Instagram, but I wasn't trying to make it a huge public thing. Like if I didn't summit Denali, I didn't want the whole world knowing. Like yeah, um, I yeah. sat in a tent for twelve days <laughs> yeah. and had the I had no food left. <laughs> Ate some candy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I didn't try to make it a whole public thing. That more started. Um, before my final climb. Um, yeah, the one that was kind of like the shoe in. Yeah. Yeah. My my guaranteed summit. Yeah. So yeah. How does it? How did it feel like after you were done? Was it like the typical how everybody usually feels? Like you know, like what's next? What am I gonna do? Yeah, 
it was kind of bittersweet because I had had this goal for the last three years and I'm a very goal-oriented person so I just work better like that um, but I knew I wanted to write the book so that was my next summit in itself how long did it take you to write the book a year a year yeah and is it like little tidbits from each like mountain or is it kind of like just the experiences as a whole and like what you took away yeah, so I go through all my climbs, and it's the challenges that I faced and the lessons that I learned and how um, the reader, if they're not into mountains at all, like what they can take away from it to apply to any everyday life situation. So, so like, what what are what are some, like, the things? Like, what are some of, like, the most, like, memorable for you? Like, these are, like, the things that I I learned on these hikes. Or what do you mean? Classes? Hikes? Ascents? Climbs, climbs? climbs? Yeah, climbs. Um, Does that bug you when people do that? A little like, bit. It's a climb. <laughs> When's your next hike? hike? I'm like, yeah. oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to knee kick you next time. You say <laughs> but, yeah, like, what, what what's your takeaway? Like, what, what do you... What do you feel like? What's yeah, your so they message all had there? like their own things, but one of the main one was the importance of trying new things because before Kilimanjaro, I'd never climbed a mountain, and just like you never know when you'll find your passion in life. So just so this is like your passion now, like you're like oh uh, yeah yeah love it yeah um so yeah and then like there's yeah. There's, <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's always one of those things too where it's like the, because that's the, what I try to encourage with my girls and like the, when, like just the people I deal with like every day is the, like it, there can be the oddest thing. Like if somebody told you before that you were going to be like this seasoned climber, you probably would have been like, I would have oh, laughed. Not yeah. me. You know, like I'm a snowboarder, you know, I'm a soccer player, you know, like field hockey, this, that, the next thing, but not this. And then traveling the world and, you know, like writing books and like interviews and all this kind of stuff, but like that's who you are now. Yeah. You know, so like to encourage people to be able to step outside that box and to say like anything that's new. You know, yeah, you have really to start happen. somewhere. So how many like like the people like around you, like in, in your family, in your social circle, like like are you like that that inspirational person now where like now people are trying some things or like have have you noticed there being a spin off with people? Yeah, for you? sure. I've had people been like, Oh, I'm gonna go do this because, like if you can do that, I can do this. So yeah, no, yeah. it's been neat. Um, is there kind of like a like a like a top five mountains now? Like like where does somebody go like after they do it? Is there like you know not to get into too much detail what you might have you know planned for your future? But is there like is there other mountains now like you know is there ones in like Canada or like you know like around that you're like okay well like I want to do you know like two more or like five more or is it just kind of like I'm just going to keep on climbing mountains until there's something different <laughs> um yeah my parents want me to retire pretty soon <laughs> oh. they're just over the worrying my grandma too um but there's so many gorgeous mountains out there that if I had the time and money I would absolutely love to climb and I do hope to keep climbing I'm planning a big climb for this summer which I'm really excited about is it height or like view or geographical location? Like, like what is it? Like, how do you go through the selection process? Because everything was pre-selected for you. Like these, these yeah. seven mountains were like, you had no choice. It was going to be these. You just kind of had to choose the order of what you were going to do them in and the time frame. Yeah. Like now you actually have to go hand pick them. Like, how do you do that now? Like, so like, I'd love to climb Logan, which is Canada's highest mountain. So, um, I don't know. They, 
they all have different appeals for different reasons, but... Do you have, like, a like a top five, or is there just, like, I'm just going to keep rolling these out as I, I see them or as I research them, and, you know, like, I'm going to be 65 and still climbing? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. Um, uh, one called Alma de Blom in the Himalayas is absolutely stunning, so, like, I want to climb that, literally, just because it's pretty. But another goal that people, I don't have this goal by any means, but there's 14 8,000 meter peaks. So 14 mountains that are above 8,000 meters. Yeah. So a lot of people have that goal. So if they're not doing the seven summits, they want, that's like the major leagues. 14 though, that's that's a lot. Like that's... Yeah, and I don't, that's not what I'm looking to do. But so even And you so... never know, like it might be in five years from now, like as, as it evolves for you, you know, it's like the yeah. future, we never really know what it's going to be like, yeah. but... Yeah, it's like I couldn't even imagine like when it comes to mountains, like it would just slowly be because the one thing I always find, especially with runs, is it's always just more distance or like you know something that's like a hard run is like how many big hills you can put into it. Like yeah. it only goes so far before you have to kind of like say you know, like what's next. Do you ever have that feeling for you? Like there's something something next, something that you want to try. Like I want to go to space. Like if I can get to the moon, that's I've reached the highest point on Earth. I'm like sign me up for yeah. Mars or anything. What about <laughs> one of those flights that just kind of like goes out and then comes yeah, back? Yeah, definitely in? interested. Yeah. Um, I think they're expensive. But... Yeah, I think they are too. I have no idea what the cost is. I was just hearing something about it the other day again about how it's like you know the how high the price is for just like a quick little dip your toes in. Yeah, and, like, you've got like six out. minutes where you can float or whatever. Yeah, but like how amazing. So like, yeah. you're, if, would you do like the one way trip to Mars? Like, is oh, that 100%, you? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Really? Oh, I would leave tomorrow. Really? Mm-hmm. And to get to Mars and like just be like totally isolated. I'm not coming <laughs> back, and your parents and your grandma would really be beside themselves. Yeah. But like, why? Why does that appeal to you? Just because it's like the unknown. Like, I just want yeah. to see. It's totally I love doing cool territory. things. Like, who else is going to Mars? No, I just. Oh. Did you sign? Did you put your name in that pool when people could sign up to be able to go to Mars? No, I I missed that one. Yeah. But <laughs> I like. If I could, there's a sign up now, I'll happily sign my name. See, because that's a problem that I have too. Because I love doing cool stuff. Like, I just I'm addicted to doing cool stuff all the time, and I just don't know where the like the stop button is. Yeah. There. You know, like whenever a new cool thing comes up, I'm like, yeah, I gotta try that. You know, like oh, so sure. like where you say like the going to Mars, like that's what it's called. Like, I gotta come back. Like, there's always, I'd like, like to come back. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but it's like oh, I understand exactly what you mean, but like the cool things because you know, like I think of it even standing on the top of the mountains that I've climbed. Like, every summit looks different. Like, I've even stood on, like, a mountain beside the one that I was just on. Like, like last summer, I kind of, in, you know, like, the Maple Ridge area claimed or climbed, like, through his, um, you know, like, like Golden Ears and then, like, the couple that are beside yeah. it. And, like, when you're standing up there, it, like, it all looks completely different. Yeah, no, for sure. You know, like, the, like when you're standing I mean, even up, climbing the same mountain twice, like, your experience is never yeah. the same. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Well, I guess we yeah we get we don't have to kind of go too much for that. I'm just I'm there's just like a million more questions I have in my mind, but it's like but I just I really appreciate you coming down to India yeah. to share your experience stuff because like especially anything like outside like the outdoors like I I have this really like deep connection with just being outside because I grew up you know like climbing and ascending mountains because my dad always took me into the backcountry from basically when I could walk so it's something I can like I connect with quite a bit and yeah. I, I in my mind I've always because I told Ava a couple of years ago on my 40th birthday like I want us to do Everest together 
And uh, yeah, so it's just like, you know, all these little things. That you're, I just, I find like you're super inspirational. I've been talking to like every person I know. I've been super <laughs> excited for you to come in. So I really appreciate you coming in. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And I want you to drop like the, like the Instagram, Facebook, the everything right now for people who want to kind of scope some pictures and like yes. your book, where to get it, like how you go about it. So for sure. So you can get my book written in the snow by Elizabeth Rose on amazon.ca or .com. And follow my adventures on Instagram at LizRose5. So I've got a big trip this summer, so there's going to be some epic photos. When uh, when are you leaving on that trip? Or is that you don't want to release those Oh, no, times? I'm leaving June 17th. June 17th? Yeah. That's a month before my birthday. Um, <laughs> like, how long is the trip going to gonna be? I'll be gone for two months. Two months? Yeah. Okay. But I'll have Wi-Fi, so I'll be able to post some photos. Are you going to do, like, any of, like, the like – the, like Instagram Live or Facebook Live, like anything, like the stories, like like videos, or is it strictly just photos? Uh, there might be some videos. It's tricky. Like it's very spotty internet, so yeah. we will see. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can't wait to be able to follow and you know share your experience and stuff for you too. I think that's absolutely awesome. And thank you for coming in. Yeah. Thanks so much.